morning, everybody. Digital House. We have a special episode again. Colin State. So we brought in the joke. Just so great. Hitters today. Got Mark. Mark. Howdy. Who's becoming kind of a regular. Yeah. I just keep showing up in the morning. So here at 6. It's like, like, wanders and we're going to look at it of what does this mean for the, let's just throw some, November 8th was election day. Uh, in the House, it appears like the Republicans are going to take the House. They've, they've been declared mm-hmm. victors in 217 out of the 218 seats you need to have a majority in the House. There are 13 undecided races there. Interesting kind of in that dynamic of the Democrats picking up a Senate seat, maybe, or at least holding it. Republicans barely taking the House. I think that's you know, got them winning anywhere from kind of eight to 12 seats. The Republicans did outpace the Democrats by 4% on just all votes cast across the the, the nation. Then when you look at the governor's races, uh, we've got 25 Republican governors. We've got 24 Democratic governors. The Republicans lost two seats. Dems obviously picked them up. You've got Alaska Mm -hmm. undecided that appears like it'll be a Republican seat, but uh, we'll see. And then just some other races that had to do with the energy business is you had Wayne Christian win the Railroad Commission race here in Texas. Um, He got 55%, which is kind of in line with what Abbott and Patrick got. And then another race we thought we'd talk a lot more about, but I'm not sure today, but the Arizona Corporation Commission, which really regulates the utility services, railroads and pipelines in the state. Two Republicans won there. So it went from being a Republican majority of three to two to four to one now. Um, and so that's kind of the lay of the land on the facts of what happened to the in the I'll go uh, I'll go number one to you. It's Maine. Uh, we've got the sound breaking up again. We're good. Okay. No, we're good. Means that one um, is a relation of a lot of inertia, which is good. I think extends the super cycle that everybody continues to talk about. We've we've got physically tight supply and and with you know demand that seems to be holding in okay. I think a push either way, either a rollback in regulation or a more aggressive push to limit access. I think that gridlock or inertia is a good thing for traditional energy in general as somewhat counterintuitive as that might seem. Um, I think it also, uh, from from a political standpoint, it points out with the exception of a couple of the most notable results, and we can get to that later, is that uh, running against uh, with 
kind of a weak slate or a weak hand of candidates is not a winning strategy. I think we can all agree that the much uh, ballyhooed and predicted red wave tsunami, whatever you want to call it, did not occur. And so, and I think that was largely running weak candidates on positions or platforms of running against uh, the incumbents, uh, particularly the at the national level. So, not to take us off track, but you know, when I was a child, I, I went to visit uh, one of my congressmen, and he said, "Go make yourself into something, and then come serve in 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 the government." Today, though, I look at people like AOC. I look at even our um, one-eyed uh, congressman here in Houston. Both sides of the party, you know, AOC is worth twenty-seven million. These guys are making they they walked into the government with worth nothing, and now they're worth millions. So why can't the Republicans find find better candidates? Because if you get into Congress, you're going to become a millionaire just by showing up. What say you? Well, you know, it was I believe it was Thomas Sowell that actually said one time we ought to pay members of the Senate and the House like two million dollars a year just to make it a really good job. So potentially you could get some high quality people there that also wouldn't be trying you know, grift their way. Into, I mean, AOC goes from, I mean, all right, we just, I just got a, I just got a message saying our connections week. Anything we do about that or we keep rolling? Okay. We do talk about how the election seemed to, no one can get it right on the voting panels, but digital wildcatters can't get their uh, broadcast technology. We're a, we're, we're a high tech platform. <laughs> Who do we blame? <laughs> I think we're froze stream. Um, yeah, my, I'm froze. So we're good. All right. Okay. Keep going. We'll jump back in. So, so something I notice about this is the Republicans, which arguably that's that's number one. So number two, and that, there we go. Okay, uh, so could have been their red wave distributed better. So I think really you've got your candidate thing that you brought up. But the other thing you've got is this. Democrats are a lot better at tactics. I mean, they chose their races. They focused on those races. Mm -hmm. They got their they got their voters out. And that comes that breaks down a whole lot of stuff. One messaging. I mean, I was sitting there going, why are they talking about abortion? Only four percent of, uh, you know, the population cares about abortion. Well, guess what? Democrats cared about abortion and it got young people out. Right. Seventy two percent of the 18 to 29 demographic uh, uh, female voted in house races, Democrat. Yeah. 72%. Mm -hmm. And, and they were way underrepresented in any of the polling well, too. And so they, they, not only did they come out and vote overwhelmingly Democrat number two, they actually showed up and voted. You, you either had, I think, strong achievement track record DeSantis in Florida, right through Right. Their policies and the way they've managed through lockdowns, et cetera. Or you had 
third rail issues in Texas, like gun ownership and oil and gas. And, you know, opposing that was a decidedly losing strategy. And I'm talking about on the Democrats part. Mm -hmm. Those are two very different things than what we saw, I think, in candidates that were running against uh, Democrat issues and the Democrats, as Chuck points out, did a good job of focusing on, you know, it, it ended up being a pretty big single issue voter swing. I mean, in, in let's, you know, while Beto is a millennial's wet dream in, t in terms of celebrity status, he does not show well in terms of what is he going to do for the state? And I think that he is a poor candidate from on the Democrat side. Yeah, no, it's my uh, my favorite thing I heard was that we're getting so incredibly sensitive as a nation. I was down in Texas. You can't even call anybody a loser anymore. You got to call him a Beto. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what does this what does this mean for us in the energy business? Looking through this lens, in that I mean, we got a the Republicans got obliterated by young people and single women. And if they're showing up to vote in this percentage this young, do more of them show up and vote? Are they uneducated? What does this mean for energy? I, you know, I, I, I think the inertia still holds in the short to medium term where it, it doesn't, you know, neither party has a mandate at any level with this type of result. But I do think the um, really what could be the start of a structural trend is one that needs to be closely examined. And as you point out, from a tactical standpoint, 2024 ought to be uh, you know, a real hyper-focus for the Republicans because that's the way things could potentially trend. It's one significant data point, but. Hmm. I mean, Biden is saying that he, he has a mandate and it's COP27. What, what do you think is gonna happen over the next few years regarding oil and gas and, and renewables? Is it gonna be still pressure are we going to hear oil and gas companies saying hey i cannot produce because i don't i'm not getting the leases i'm not getting the the support i can't raise the capital what's going to happen i mean biden was pretty clear right he's going to get rid of all the coal plants i mean he said that leading up to the election and then number two i mean he also off camera or thinking he was off camera said hey there's been no drilling under my administration you know that was that was previous right. stuff yeah. so I mean, does he feel like he has a mandate for that now? And he'll have the Senate. He, I don't think he's going to have the the House. Um, but, I mean, I mean, as we're seeing yeah. rising prices in Europe, diesel fuel is is in short supply. Germany just uh, opened their first uh, LNG import terminal. It took uh, only supposedly two hundred days. It was unbelievable. So that they're not relying as much on 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 Russia. Well, who's the natural supplier of that? That would be United States. Right. Are we going to be able even to, to be able to compete? Um, because the the, mar the global markets are saying we need your gas, we need cheap gas, we need cheap electricity, energy. Are we going to do it or not? I said it on the the energy policy draft. You know, natural gas was my draft pick. I got the easy spot of choosing number one. I think the scale at which that is possible is going to require on when I were talking to the show that you know, gas 
be an offensive States or for North America or for the West uh, and achieve a lot of those objectives like pushing out coal from both coasts. Um, but in, left in the hands of, you know, of an industry versus government, which is a bit of a, you know, I called it inertia. It's more of a standoff, right? Are you going to have the political will to move it in the direction it needs to go? I'm, I'm, skeptical of that. Okay. Speaking of coal, let's go to mansion. I mean, since we were talking about this earlier, what's the, what's going to happen with the, the FERC, um, uh, administrator and, and mansion and that feud, um, that's going on. You want to set it up? Well, let's, let's, let's step back. So Biden gets into office. Biden is able to make a, um, appointment to the FERC, which leads to a three, two democratic FERC advantage. Mm -hmm. They, for the first time in 23 years, actually changed the rules for the approval process. And I'm going to bastardize this a little and big picture it a little. But they basically said, hey, we can you need to consider climate change and emissions in approving any project. So it's not it's it's now an absolute thing that has to be looked at, not a relative thing. So if this pipeline is going to make it better than that pipeline, that's not good enough. It's does this new pipeline or whatever the project is have any emissions, i.e., therefore we can vote no to the project. Right. Well, so that right there, a lot of people said that we truly studied the FERC said we're never building another pipeline in the United States. I mean, we will not get FERC approval for it. And so what Manchin has done is um, it's Richard Glick who was appointed for a second five-year term in January by Biden. Manchin's basically said, I'm not going to hold a uh, confirmation hearing on him in the Senate. So if that doesn't happen before the end of the year, the FERC's going to be four people, two Republicans, two Democrats, and it takes three votes to get anything approved. Gridlock. Gridlock. Right. So, um, And this is, you know, not to get too much into the, kind of sidebar drama around Manchin and what happened with the Inflation Reduction Act and getting him to, I don't know, capitulation is the right word, but um, there, you know, the, the trade-off was, as I understand it, a promise of permitting reform. Yeah. Mountain Valley Pipeline was central to that in West Virginia, obviously. So now that it seems like there's a bit of bait and switch politically going on there, and maybe this is, you know, his first his first kind of firing back at them. Um, again, it, at, at the highest level, I think it speaks to, you know, nothing really gets done or decided or, which moves, is great or moves hard in one direction. Well, the government doesn't do anything. I, we win. Well, right? if, you, if win? you own existing assets that are producing, you win. If you want to go build a new export LNG terminal, you don't get that done. No, you don't no. get your approval and Europe loses. I mean, clearly, I think yeah. United States loses if we can't produce cheaper energy. I mean, that is the every nation that thrives has cheap energy. And if our energy prices are going up because of government policy, that's a that's a lose lose. So I was going to call at the end, you know, our wild ass predictions. I'm going to go ahead and just say mine now <clears throat> since we're talking about it. So, and I actually have some insider scoop on this. I talked to some of my Politico friends. I've got something. So, particularly if Herschel wins his seat and we've got a 50-50 Senate, one of two things happens in the next six months. 
Manchin leaves the Democratic Party and goes to the Republican Party. Or becomes an independent. Thus, or becomes an independent, but caucuses with the Republicans. I gives them gives them a majority. Or number two, Manchin does not run again, and you see Manchin running a foundation of some sort for Bill Gates, making (laughs) tens of millions of dollars a year because Bill Gates actually went and visited Manchin three times in the run up to the infrastructure bill. So there's at least some chatter in Washington that Manchin was said, hey, you vote for this. You don't run again because his his I mean, I think West Virginia was a 73 percent Trump state. So him winning as a Democrat next time is going to be really, really tough. How have we tracked Manchin's net worth since these meetings? We should. Is Is this the he has to go away and then come back? I don't know. Maybe go make his money and then come back. The uh, so so he's either going to become a Republican and the Republican let him join with open arms and uh, or he will not run again. We see him running something for Bill Gates, making tens of millions a year. That's my wild ass prediction. I'm going to go go with it. That's awesome. All righty. So what happens in the House? So let's assume the Republicans win. They get committee chairmanships. I mean, is it the investigation shit show, the daily, the daily drama? What? How's the house going to govern? I, I think, you know, just like you mentioned that Biden claims he has a mandate, or this election gives them a mandate. I think Schumer said something, in essence, to that effect. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that there's a going to be a strong temptation in the house to do as much investigation or make as much investigation noise as possible. I, I just accountability, accountability. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and, and I think, you know, with, without control of the Senate, I think that's going to be a really, really difficult. I mean, from my purview, I, there's distraction. Very, there's very few Republicans that have balls. I mean, I think they're getting rich off of the kitty, which is uh, you and me, by the way, those of us that actually pay taxes. There's very few people. I mean, you've got, you know, are our, our, the governor uh, DeSantis in Florida that's willing to push back and do whatever he wants, and it's actually working for him. But I think the House, sure, there's going to be some uh, TV type of drama where there's going to be some investigations. But do you can you name very many Republicans in the House that actually have done what they say they're going to do? Well, so the interesting thing about investigations is put put what your political beliefs are aside, the January 6th commission worked for the Democrats. I mean, it just did every, I mean, I have tons of democratic friends on Facebook that are all talking about, Oh my gosh, we saved our democracy, um, for this. So, I mean, we're that not a democracy, but, but yeah, but right. Go with it. Right. Yeah, we'll no, go with so it, it worked, it worked at a minimum engaging their base and turning their base out. Benghazi worked for the Republicans. I mean, you drove Hillary already had really high negatives, but Benghazi hearings drove Hillary negatives even higher, thus, you know, making it so that so that Trump. So it is an effective tool. Uh, It's a it's a shitty tool. I don't want my politicians using it, but unfortunately, that's the that's the game. This is this is what I think January. Six 
January 6th did was a warning. Be careful. That's to me why January 6th is still an issue. Is it wasn't really, I don't think it was that big of a deal, but it was an issue saying, hey, if you complain, if you start questioning, the same thing could happen to you. That's how it worked, in my opinion. And that's that that to me is is you know, is scary, but but true. I mean, it it is interesting to sit there and think that you've had the FBI be able to get warrants to spy on a political opponent based on opposition research by the party in power. Right. So, I mean, that that's kind of crazy to me. It's crazy to me that um, 50 former intelligence officers all came out and said the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation when even the New York Times today says it says it wasn't. I mean, the the FBI had the laptop and didn't say anything about it bef before the the election and all. And, you know, obviously with the pandemic and covid, there was a lot in the way of kind of what I'll call misinformation mm -hmm. by our government. It's kind of shocking to see young people just so enthralled with our government and so believing in our government and trusting in our government when you would have thought, given all this, there would have been a lot of cynicism about it. So anyway, that that's with, my soapbox. With, with congressional yeah. approval ratings, probably the lowest in their history. So there's a disconnect there as well. Yeah. Right. The, so it's not it's not my congressman. It's everybody else's. Yeah, and so, I agree. But I, I think the the notion of kind of the chilling effect that you alluded to with, you know, really elevating that as an issue, an emotional issue to think about, you know, they're, they're, they're saying the quiet part out loud where it, it may be something is off the cuff. I don't know if you saw where the president was asked to comment on Elon Musk and whether, you know, national security and inve threat investigation is, is warranted. He danced around it, but he also didn't. He didn't dance that far around it. Right. <laughs> I think what we're seeing is, I mean, let's just call it what it is. We live in a cancel culture and people are scared. And, um, when, when you, when you look at that, there, this is not, we have, you know, we both were talking about how we have kids in college. This is not a meritocracy anymore. People are scared. They don't earn, you don't earn your way. You have to be look this way, talk this way, think this way to be rewarded. And that is what is scary. I mean, Paul Graham posted a, um, a funny, uh, article that most regretted college majors percentage of graduates who would pick a different major if they could journalism by far number one at 87 percent oh wow and remember you know when i was when i was younger i remember journalists journalism majors would say well my my professors in business school would say like the reason you know the not the, those that couldn't make it in the business world are journalism majors um but journalism majors back then used to say i want to report the news today what do you hear journalism majors say i want to change the world but it's a narrative. Like we live in narratives now. We don't live in meritocracy. And that is something that I think almost everything we're talking about comes down to what's the narrative? Why did we, why did the Republicans lose the wrong narrative? Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, I, I think the, the Republicans in the house have been weaker in terms of how they play the political game. And you, you particularly in the house, because you, you're, you know, running for reelection every other year. Um, they want to be nice and get along.
for the, for the most part. They don't want to be called names. They don't want to be canceled. Yeah, I remember when Dan Crenshaw was running and he had this real strong, and he won, you know, when he won his, won his seat. Well, Dan Crenshaw is over in Ukraine. What's he doing with Zelensky? Like, wh- what? Like, we're, as I watch sort of our politicians do what they do, I'm like, what's their intent here? Is it to serve the people or is it to, you know, and I don't want to be too conspiracy theory, but I'm just watching the behaviors going, this is not what I used to observe as a fan of politics from, from a young age. So let's, uh, let's, you brought up Ukraine, the story that's coming out today. And I think Ken Griffin, yeah, kind of like that kind (laughs) of led the, uh, Ken Griffin of Citadel led the charge on this, basically saying, you know, FTX implosion. When you look at dollars, it's U S government gives dollars to Ukraine Ukraine was giving dollars to FTX. FTX was giving dollars to the Democrats. Sam Bankman-Fried was the second largest Democratic donor behind Soros during this midterm cycle. And I think he even had a line item on his financials that said defeat Trump or or something Mm -hmm. to that effect. This is wild because, I mean, you put on the tinfoil hat and you start talking about you know, is this why there was no regulation on crypto type stuff? Was this, I mean, I guess the benevolent explanation is we were giving campaign contributions to lobby for no regulation at all, or was this just flat out money money laundering? This is the biggest story, I think, um, in the world right now. I mean, it affects energy markets, it affects it all. You've got a kid that's only been in the workforce now for eight years. He graduates MIT, become you know, goes to Jane, is a, is a trader, leaves and starts a sort of crypto thing. He's only been doing it for a few years, and all of a sudden he has billions and billions of dollars. But if you start unpacking Alameda, which is his trading firm that traded all the crypto coins called FTT that FTX was representing, it was upside down the whole time. Like it was a, it, it, there was nothing about this that even remotely looks. Well, they were painting the tape as one of the allegations, right? Before they offered to the public. That's, that's correct. Right. So I think there's, there's something that needs to be unwound here and investigated. And I hope a journalism major, no offense to you journalism majors, you write something mean about me on Twitter, go investigate that. We need more data on what's really happening, how much money was moved around, who's involved. Is this is this finally big enough that we we kind of drag the mainstream media kicking and screaming into this investigation? I hope so. But I don't it, really been, have a lot of respect for It's been for surprisingly underreported, right? Or under investigated relative to, you know, the journalists we, we used to say in equity research um it's great to be first but you better have something to say and, and so i would think as potentially media as this is there might be you know everybody's all about their own celebrity now but um you know you're the one that's getting to the bottom of this or are there you know there are more nefarious things going on behind that you're uh, that that are keeping you from doing your investigative duty Look, if I was an investigative journalist, my biggest fear would be this is another Epstein. The closer I get to Epstein, 
people just start falling off dead. I don't want to get too close to this one because there might be there's too much. Because when you look at if you if you watch some of his his interviews, you read more about uh, Sam. He's just not that credible. He's smart kid, but I'm like, there's just way, way too much money went through his hands. And as I, as a guy that studied accounting, which, which was no fun, but I just start looking at all the lack of controls. I'm thinking, why would this kid have so much control over billions and billions of dollars? And he had back doors and he was giving loans. I'm like, it just doesn't add up unless there are some ulterior motives here. So two, th two things on that front. One, John Jacoby, the old crusty guy that managed the Stevens family for money, used to always say, oh, hell, every bank goes broke at some point. Doesn't matter whether you regulate them or not, which is true. Okay, I mean, fair, it's, a, fair it's a bad business model, right? You take in assets in the form of deposits, et cetera, that people can withdraw at any moment. And then you turn around and give loans out uh, there are five year paybacks on cars and stuff. So, I mean, the run fair, on the bank, fair. the run on the bank does happen. Uh, the other thing you see written about this guy is they say he was phenomenally charming. And, you know, when you get into kind of these new <laughs> things, because I lived through the Internet bubble. I mean, you get the whole, oh, the old folks don't, you know, the old folks don't get it. It's a new age. I remember when, you know, the the railroad had a valuation of like a billion dollars and the the exchange that was going to load all the railroads had a valuation of 20 billion and you know it was we're asset light you know etc so you know there could be an innocent explanation for it but have you noticed think, though if you go back internet being another one a great one or the mortgage crisis it seems that the people that have been around the longest time and they start at, they ask you and you're like, you just don't get it, dad. You don't understand the internet, like valuation on no assets. Like it should be worth a billion dollars for nothing. They were right. Yeah. It's like, I started seeing, I lived in Austin at the time, but I started seeing banks on every single corner. And I was like, why are, is there a bank everywhere? Every single corner had two banks, three banks, four banks. I was like, they need money for a reason because they're loaning it out in a way that made no sense. Too many people had mortgages. And all of a sudden it came crumbling down and people were like, why would you ever finance long-term assets with short-term debt? My economics professor taught me this. Yeah. Like it's people have been talking about this for a long time. So Sam, he's charming, sure. But like, again, crypto, another one of these things, it's like, let's start, just start putting the fundamental questions in play. And you'll realize like it doesn't make sense. And I mean, if it doesn't make sense. You should. Yeah. 15% loans don't make sense. That's equity. <laughs> you, know, you, you can say, exactly. oh, you, you, I don't care what the interest rate right. says or what it is. One other fact I want to throw out real quick, and then we're going to get to uh, predictions, winners and losers. But I was talking to a very highly regarded energy investor, and I'm going to kind of booger this up to, to protect, uh, protect names but basically had a large investor withdraw, even though performance has been really good for this fund, even though on very good terms with the investor, the investor withdrew because of fear for the tail. So it was kind of like, hey, you know, I get that, that um, 
because the model was basically more equity based as opposed to a distribution based model in energy the 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 investors like i'm scared three to five years you're regulated out of business and so when we sit here you'll see the political debate online on twitter potentially where it's you know the government's screwing us well no it's not um it's really investors that are demanding this i think the investors are part looking at the government going no you're going to be regulated out of the business your tail is truly at well, risk i don't know if you saw maybe it's related mm-hmm. or not but point 72 apparently has introduced or is introducing that's steve cohen's renamed firm an 8.33 percent gate meaning you can only get eight and a third percent of your funds out in any given quarter hmm. and if you don't sign up for those new terms, you're out as an LP. So um, is that, you know, in anticipation of what's going on, it seems like it might've had a longer runway to be able to put something like that together. There's more to it than that, but um, yeah, it is. I think it is to avoid that. All right. So let's do this. So let's do this. All right, I'm going to go around. We're going to go biggest winner. So, Kirk, you're up first. Who out of all this stuff is your biggest winner from uh, election 2022? I hate to say it, but the government's the biggest winner, and that's the sad fact. So that's who I think won this this election cycle. The government won, especially big government. And so that, to me, is, is a saddened truth. I don't think the citizens won in this election i had i had on my list kind of as i was pondering who the biggest winner was trust in government so basically the same thing i mean yeah the fact that that only one state in the entire union had one election on one day all the votes were counted and there's no questions yeah we can't say that you know here in harris county we there's you know abbott's now pissed which thanks abbott for being a week late but you know, you, you see Arizona, you see Nevada. I think the citizens lost. Mark, who's your big winner? I, I think Democrat strategist was the big, big winner. <laughs> I think they proved that, you know, targeted single issue, um, mm. uh, strategies can, can activate a meaningful. And in this case, it's, it, it ought to give some pause because it is, it is the youngest and I guess highest growth or more, a long-term wedge of the democratic base. So that works with, with that demographic. So the Democrat strategists who pulled this off, focusing on those single issues in key areas, I think were the big winners. And, and I actually had that on my list too. I called it democratic tactics. Yeah. I, you know, the actual, the actual turnout machine. Your notes. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, we, we, we did not share notes. My big winner for this, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She gets elected to be the governor of Arkansas. So she's going to be there the next two years. She's going to sit out the presidential race in 2024. She's not going to run for that. She's not going to be in the middle of that shit show, whatever it turns out, Trump, DeSantis. She is good with the Trump wing of the party because she served loyally as as the um, press secretary for Trump. But she gets to make her own case over the next, four years being and so i think in six years you have the first woman president of america and i think it's sarah huckabee sanders all right wow, wow. Kirk, <laughs> kirk who is your biggest loser 
Wow. Uh, I think the biggest loser um, is Lena Hidalgo. Um, she won, but I think I think um, as her lieutenants are all indicted, I think she's going to be the biggest loser. Not today, but over the next month or two, you're going to see, at least that's my prediction. Mark, who's your biggest loser out of this? Um, wow, that was uh, that was out of left field. <laughs> you know, the, the the easy answer is this brain doesn't work correctly. Yeah, the, the easy answer that. is is MAGA, but I think it's more fundamental than that. I think, as we were discussing prior to the start of the show, I think the economic reality that's beset, mm. you know, the generations that are going to be here and live with these results and consequences longer, <clears throat> the policy consequences are the biggest losers because we, we don't have a clear mandate one way or the other uh, in a push toward creating effective in, in our echo chamber of energy. We don't, we don't have that. And I said that, I mean, I said that the citizens lost because we have abundant energy. We're not using it and leveraging it. And so we have inflation. We have, we have citizens worried about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, these sort of top issues that really don't seem to matter when we have these major issues. We have crime, we have inflation, we have people that that really, you know, a single family, one wage can't earn a living for the entire family anymore. I mean, that's the biggest loser. The citizens are the biggest losers. I just threw Lena under the bus because it's fun. So <laughs> it is the citizens. And, and I think it is that, you know, that kind of early career, early adult wedge of the population, whether it's the overlap between millennials and Gen Z, because it, you know, it, it I, th I think this inertia is bad for getting to a place where we can set effective bipartisan policy, not to put too naive of a term on it, but energy policy is a big part of that, right? It, and again, in, in what we've tried to focus on here, which is what does this all mean for, for energy and energy policy. But I think because the, you know, because the, the, that wedge of the population was successful in voting single issue, we're not moving forward and making hard decisions on, on policy areas that impact their lives most, most directly. But that's, I think somehow wrapped up in, in the citizens, I don't know if it was a parody account, but on Twitter, somebody, somebody tweeted, he's like, I love $10 gas. He's like, vote blue because I can afford it. I'm like, <laughs> that's got to be parody. But if that's the real um, thought process and we're doomed. Well, I mean, I, I think where it goes to is we just haven't been able to educate on the consequences of policy and, and price. It's it's been lost and stuff you and I've talked about on BDE and you and I have talked about on BD that's evil oil companies and the like the actual biggest loser of this election. And I am so glad to finally put the death nail in this Hillary Clinton, because Joe, because Joe Biden did not suffer a red wave. I mean, you know, he, he Biden actually can claim to be the biggest winner out of this. He was supposed to lose all these seats and yeah, just lost the house. I mean, you know, even though that's that was a, that, that's a bigger deal, but and, Biden and, gets, and Biden we'll see gets, by how much, which isn't very much. So Biden gets to run again, um, which he's going to do. Um, and that means Hillary will not challenge him and it's over. 
there there will no there will never be another Hillary Clinton campaign. So she is the uh, the biggest loser. All right, guys, this was fun. So we've deep dived uh, the election. Appreciate you guys wild coming on. We oh yeah, we've got one. You got one. Yeah, we, yeah. So, what's your? So wild I already ass did, I already did no, my wild ass. Uh, let's keep it in order. I've got a wild ass prediction. All right, go ahead. And hey, I'm Kurt. again left field, but I am saying that Japan makes out a Group E in the 2022 FIFA World Cup. They've got Spain, <laughs> Costa Rica, and Germany to play against. But I'm saying Japan makes it out of group stage. That's my wild-ass guess, and I'm putting money on it. Wow. I would say Jeff Luno's coming back as GM, but um, <laughs> focusing on the subject at hand, if Trump doesn't ultimately get um, shoved out to where he runs an independent campaign in 2024. I think there's enough go along, get along in the house, especially uh, that they're, you know, one of the, I think one of the extreme possibilities here, uh, very remote would be they go, they proceed with a, would it be the third round of, of articles of impeachment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that would ultimately with success disqualify him from running in 2024. You know, do the, do the, do the rhinos kind of play that game to get, you know, to, to reunify the party if there is such a possibility, but one way or the other, there's going to be a fracture, whether it's potentially Trump running as an independent or, do they get him out of the way and, you know, his voter block remains intact and, and fragmented from the rest of the Republican Party, which also makes it easier for Joe Biden to run for re-election again. There and you the have Astros it. are going to repeat, by the way. There, so, there wow. All right, Digital Wildcatters, thank you for joining us on our debrief on the election. We thought we'd actually be able to talk about more, but there's still stuff up in the air. So we may have to do this episode again in, in, in uh, December. Appreciate everybody tuning in today. Do everything you do for podcasts. Subscribe, write favorable comments about us. Peace out.